you were here a couple of weeks ago, you'll recall that uh, I shared some thoughts from Psalm 133, and alongside those thoughts, I touched on uh, some of the verses from Acts chapter 2, which at the time I said that I wanted to enlarge a little bit further from Acts chapter 2, and I was speaking on the subject and the importance of unity in the church, in the body of Christ. And so I, I want to read Psalm 133 again, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 2 and read just a couple of verses there as I share the additional thoughts that I wanted to attach to the subject of unity. So Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You know from that scripture there that unity in the church is like the oil and the dew that we read of there in 133. But then just the opening verses of, Saul, of Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There are six things that I want to consider this morning. And then as time allows, some other thoughts that I'm going to uh, add to them at the end as well. And when we come to Acts chapter 2, we find looking through Acts chapter 1, the chapter preceding it, that the disciples had already spent a number of days in the presence of God. And the scripture tells us that they were in one place with one accord. So they were united together in their waiting in the presence of God. And so when we come to Acts chapter 2, it is in that place of togetherness in that place of unity, in that place where they are found in the presence of God, that it tells us that suddenly there came from heaven the sound like a rushing mighty wind. It says that they filled the whole house or the whole room where they were sitting. And then it continues to say that divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And then it says, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them to do so. We need to remember that at this moment of time, when we come to this chapter of Acts chapter 2, that nothing like this has ever happened before. It's the first time that anybody had ever witnessed something like this 
We can only begin to imagine what it must have been like to be in that upper room, to hear the rushing wind and to see the tongues of fire and then to realise that it's filling the whole room and then suddenly all those around you, we know there were about 120 of them, all those around you suddenly began to speak in other tongues. It must have been something incredible and absolutely amazing. And so we find, as we look at what those verses tell us, it says that they felt the Holy Spirit. A mighty rushing wind filled the house. Then you can't tell me that you're not going to feel the wind. If it fills the house. So they felt the Holy Spirit. Then we discover that they saw the Holy Spirit. Because divided tongues of fire came and rested upon them. So they felt the Holy Spirit. They saw the Holy Spirit. Remember the time when Jesus was baptised and he went down into the water. And as he came up, it says there that the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him like a dove. But here, there was no sign of a dove. The Holy Spirit came as a rushing wind and as divided tongues of fire resting upon them. So they felt and they saw. But they knew, because of what they saw, they knew that the Holy Spirit was resting upon them. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We know that because it says they gave evidence of the Holy Spirit in filling. It says that they spoke in other tongues. It must have been absolutely incredible, amazing to have been that. And I think that this tells us that a spirit-filled believer must produce fruit that shows that he has been filled with the Spirit and that he is led by the Spirit. And not only a believer himself, but I believe that a spirit-filled church must show fruit that it is spirit-filled and spirit-led. And we are a Pentecostal church. We claim to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, just as there was evidence there on the day of Pentecost, there should be evidence from each and every one of us that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Something dynamic should be happening in our hearts, in our lives, in this place as the house of God. Because the presence of the Spirit is here, amongst us and within us and immediately following this incredible encounter and infilling of the Holy Spirit we see that there was evidence at work for the unity they had been found in led to an outworking of what they had received in other words going back to Psalm 133 we can say without any shadow of doubt that there in the upper room, as they were found in a place of unity, God commanded his blessing upon them. And God can do that today. As we remain in that place of unity, as we remain in that place of seeking and desiring the things of God, he will command his blessing upon us. And I believe God's been doing that especially over these last few weeks as we've been meeting together on a Wednesday and on a Friday. I was going to bring this later on, but I'm going to bring it in now. I believe we've known something of the blessing of God being commanded upon us. 
And I wanted everybody would be involved in that. None to lose out, none to miss out. Because I believe that God is ready to open the windows of heaven. As we're ready to seek his face. To do something dynamic and powerful amongst us. But going back to the disciples on this day of Pentecost, we find that the first thing is that after they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, verses 7 to 11, that they began to magnify the Lord God. And how did they do it? In the tongues that they spoke. They were speaking in languages that they didn't understand. They were Galileans. But they began to speak in other tongues. And we know that the town of Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem would have been filled of people at that time from all around. Not just Israel, but other nations because it was the Feast of Pentecost. And as these others came from the towns and cities and countries around Israel into Jerusalem, they began to hear that the disciples were speaking not in their own local language, they were speaking in the languages of those who were visiting. Languages they didn't know the disciples. And as they were speaking these languages, those that could hear and those that could understand said that they were amazed and perplexed because they were speaking in their tongue, not their own tongue, but their tongue, the mighty works of God. That must have been incredible. To be an outsider, and you see these Galileans, and you begin to hear them, and they begin to speaking in languages they don't know, and yet you understand them. And in the tongues, they were magnifying, and they were glorifying God. Tongues has a purpose. Not only to edify us, but it can edify others as well. And I know of instances in the past where there are those I know of who have spoken in a tongue that they've never known themselves. I know of one person in particular who was travelling on a train. And as he was travelling on a train, he was, I think he was a Scots guy. And as he was travelling on the train, he began to speak in other tongues. And there was a Welsh person on the train. And the Welsh person came up to him and said... How do you, you're speaking my language. He said, I don't know what language I'm speaking. I'm just speaking in tongues. And the person said, you're speaking in Welsh. And you're telling me the gospel. Folks, our God is amazing. He's an amazing God. And he wants to equip us the same way. To empower us the same way. And they magnify the Lord God. The second is that their ministry was impactful. Just I mentioned it the other week about Peter. He was a coward not too many weeks before. He was denying Jesus. But now when we come to this chapter. After they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up with the eleven. And he begins to preach. And I think this is important to notice. That the first thing that happened. After the promised Holy Spirit had arrived. Was that the disciples preached the word of God. In their tongues they magnified him. And in their own tongue, they preached the word of God. How important that reminds us that the preaching of the word of God is and must be. And as they preached the word of God, as we see them going through the book of Acts to all the various places, so it is important and vital that the church today continues to preach the word of God. For the preaching that they gave, gave clarification. There was explanation. They were explaining what was going on. There was exhortation. They were encouraging them what they should do. And there was 
exposition. See, as Peter stood up to preach there on the day of Pentecost, the preaching was convincing. The preaching brought about conviction. And the preaching led to conversions. And any one of us, and this is a challenge to myself as well, any one of us who preaches the word must do so with the purpose or the intention of encouraging and building believers up. And at the same time to bring a sense of conviction to those who are not believers. For if people are not challenged in some way, when we stand up to preach the word of God, then we've missed the point or we've missed the opportunity. And the conviction in preaching, we need to understand, is not always to do with sin. Very often we think that the preaching and conviction and the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings is to do with sin. But it's not always to do with sin. But we can concerning our own personal commitment and devotion towards the will of God and the things of God. The preaching from the pulpit can bring conviction to the sinner, but it can bring correction. It can bring guidance to those who are already believers. And so as it, as it was on the day of Pentecost, the preaching of the word of God should always, without fail, challenge us in some way and should encourage us with our walk and with our relationship with God. And the third thing we find on the day of Pentecost was that the preaching led to multiplication in number. Verse 41 tells us, it says there in verse 41, so those who received this word were baptised and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. That's all we can say, isn't it? Wow. 3,000 souls. The 120 in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, became at least 3,000 more by the time we get to the end of the chapter. See, if the disciples had sought to do in their own strength, without waiting as Jesus had commanded, I believe that they would have failed at the very first hurdle. They would have got nowhere. But because they waited in obedience, because they waited in one accord, they received the promise of the Father. They became equipped to fulfill the mission that Jesus had given them to do. And they were successful immediately. Immediately. And the fourth thing is that what happened following the day of Pentecost was it led to the management of their time. This is what it says in verse 42. And they, that's the 120 plus the 3,000 that were added to them. Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
and having favour with all the people. See, what we discover is that immediately the things of God became their priority. Immediately. The things of God became their priority. They devoted themselves to. I wonder today in the church, is it possible that we fail to understand what true devotion really is? True devotion. Our devotion is perhaps towards other things rather than being towards God. And this is the challenge I believe God has given me to bring this morning. Where do our devotions lie? I've got a couple of songs that came to me in the week. I'll read them. We know them very well. I still need to read them. You are beautiful beyond description. Talking about our Lord. Talking about our Saviour. You are beautiful beyond description. Too marvellous for words. Too wonderful for comprehension. Like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description. Majesty enthroned above. And I stand. I stand. I stand in awe of you. Holy God. To whom all praise is due. I stand in awe of you. I want to tell you if we really mean that. If we really believe that, our priorities would be different. Our priorities would be different. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I'm going to change the word there because I think it relates to it. As we think of it, Holy God, to whom all devotion is due. Because we can't give all praise unless we're giving all devotion. Because it's our lives that are praising him as well. Not just our lips. Holy God. To whom all praise is due. I stand in awe of you. And then another one that came to me. Lord. And this is a declaration we make. So very often. Lord. You are more precious than silver. Lord. You are more costly than gold. Lord. You are more beautiful than diamonds. Do we mean that? When we say it, do we mean it? Because the last line says, and nothing I desire. Nothing I desire compares with you. I love my wife. I love her to bits. I love her to the moon about 30,000 times and more. She's a treasure to me. I love my family. I love my home, the garden. I love so much. And yet I want to tell you, I love Jesus more than all of them. And I want to devote my life to him. Because he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. And perhaps as I've said, we have become devoted towards other things 
rather than towards the things of God. The secular attracts us rather than the Saviour. Stop and think of it. These thoughts I'm going to bring. The secular attracts us rather than the Saviour. The world draws us rather than the Word of God. We desire places of pleasure rather than to be found in the house of prayer. And we prefer friendship with the world rather than the fellowship of the saints. As I've made those four statements, apply them as I've applied them to my own life. And I tell you, your answers towards those will show you how much you really are devoted to God and to the things of God. I'm going to bring another challenge. I've mentioned the midweek meetings. But I'm going to bring it because I really, it burdens me so much. It really burdens me so much. Where are we? And what are we doing at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday and 7 p.m. on a Friday when this place is open for prayer and this place is open to be fed from the Word of God? God, help us to get our devotion right, our priority right. Because it is only then that you're going to command your blessing upon us. We want it. I want it. We need to serve him with all of our hearts. Wholeheartedly. With full devotion. And the sixth thing that happened on that day with the early believers, it's summed up with what I've already said. It needs to be mirrored in us, the church today. It needs to be mirrored in us, the church today. Said at the beginning of what happened on the day of Pentecost, it never happened before. But it can happen again. It can happen with us. It can happen with God's people wherever they are meeting in one accord. Because it is only then that God will command his blessing. It's also interesting that although the unity led to multiplication, just a few chapters on we find that where there was division, it, where there was disunity, it led to more than division. It actually led to subtraction. Subtraction. You know the story very well of the two that had made a commitment to sell. And as they sold what they had, they were going to bring it as a portion. They were going to bring it to put to the collective offering. But we find that after they'd sold it, instead of bringing it all, they kept back apart. And when they came and stood before the Apostle Peter, first of all, the man, he lied. And immediately the Lord took his life from him. <coughs> The wife came in and she lied and immediately the Lord took her life from her as well. But after that account in Acts chapter 5, this is what it says in verse 11. And great fear. And I tell you, fear would come, wouldn't it? If you were standing and you suddenly saw the two that had lied in the presence of God had their life snatched away from them, it would fill you with fear. 
But I tell you, it would fill you with more than fear. It would fill you with that desire and a desperate urge to make sure that you were right before God in every single way. And it says, And the great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So let's recap again with a question. What caused the New Testament church to be so successful so quickly? First thing was obedience. Obedience. God calls us to obedience. Obedience. God calls you, myself, but I'm God's servant at this moment. God calls us all to obedience to the word of God. To act upon it. And the church were obedience. Jesus ordered in 1.4, Acts 1.4. They obeyed. They waited. The second thing was, which is what the whole subject had been, my theme for these two messages, that there was unity. Obedience led to unity. And then when we come to Acts chapter 2, we find there was power. The church had power. There was preaching. First, there was the preaching of Christ. And that is of utmost importance to preach Jesus. But alongside the preaching of Christ was the preaching of salvation, the gospel. And then there was Holy Spirit conviction. As they preached, the Holy Spirit was at work, not only bringing the word through them, through their lips, but working in the hearts that were listening. In other words, those that were preaching, they allowed the Holy Spirit to do his work alongside their responsibility of preaching the word of God. There was devotion, as we said. And we find that it says there at the end, I missed it out deliberately, that after we got to the point of devotion, it says that the power of God was manifest through them. Well, I read that part actually, verse 43. All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Folk, if we want wonders and signs, if we want to see bodies being healed, if we want to see souls being saved, if we want to see the possessed being set free, we've got to be in the place where the disciples were. We've got to be desperate for the things of God. We've got to desire the things of God. And we've got to be devoted towards the things of God. The end result was that Jesus was allowed to build his church. Not them. He was using them. Jesus said, I will build my church. And when the disciples were found in that place, when the people of God were found in that place, the church was built. Because it says at the end of verse 47, and the Lord added to their number. How often? Day by day. Wow, we rejoice if one gets saved in the year. I put this in the, you understand if I put it there. That's if we're lucky. I'm not using that word, but you know what I mean. But the Lord added to the number, day by day, those who were being saved. Do we want to see folks saved? 
Do we want to see bodies heal? Do we want to see the possessed set free? Do we want to see the needs of men and women being met? There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in prayer. There's power in praise. But there's power that is available to each one of us as we're found in that place of unity where the Holy Spirit will come upon us and will infill us and work out through us. Signs and wonders will be done to the glory of his name. The key is that we need to be found in a place of unity. And we need to be devoted. Wholeheartedly devoted to the things of God.